This is the Simi Sarah Show On Demand. Subscribe now on iTunes. Listen to the show each weekday 10 to 2 on 980 CKNW and through the Radio Player app. Well, a tense situation in the northern part of India, right on the border between India and Pakistan, is becoming even more tense. And that's because the government of India has moved to revoke the part of their constitution that was giving Indian-administered Kashmir special status. You may have heard about this or seen the headlines about this in the last 48 hours or so. In that part of the world, this is a very big deal. Lots of concern about this and what this could mean in relationships between Pakistan and India. To talk more about this, we're joined by Anki Panda now, who's a director of research for Diplomat Risk Intelligence. Anki, thank you so much for joining us. My pleasure. Thanks for having me. How big of a concern is this, what India has done? Um, as, far as, as far as it being a concern, I would say that we're still waiting to see how the Kashmir region is going to react. Uh, a lot of the people that live there have been put under a total information embargo. So it's very likely that you and I know more about what has happened than many people living in Kashmir do right now. That said, the seriousness of what the Indians have done is uh, really shouldn't be understated. It's, it's, it's historic. It revises really one of the last lingering questions over the unity of India from the 20th century. Um, but it also does raise a great deal of uncertainty as to what is going to happen next in terms of the implementation of the abrogation of this constitutional provision that had given Kashmir special status within the Indian Union. And of course, we're waiting to see how the international community, in particular Pakistan and China, both of whom also have claims in Kashmir, are going to react in the coming days. Right. Okay. So when it comes, maybe for a little background here, a little history there, and can you explain to people why this area is so contested? Sure. So um, at the at the end of the 1940s, in 1947, when the British left South Asia, uh, the British Raj was partitioned into two countries, the um, Muslim state of Pakistan, an Islamic Republic, which was explicitly created out of um, the territories that we now know today as Pakistan and Bangladesh for uh, anybody in, this, in South Asia who identified as Muslim could have migrated to one of these new countries to live in. And India, by the meantime, was not created as a Hindu state. It was created as a secular democratic republic. Of course, what happened was that uh, when India was created, uh, the status of many so-called princely states that existed around the region had to be negotiated between the government in New Delhi and many of these princely states. And Kashmir at the time just happened to be one of these princely states. It was ruled by a Hindu king, but the population was primarily Muslim. And that remains to be the case today. It's the only Muslim-majority region in India. So as part of that negotiation uh, that occurred uh, in the late 1940s between Delhi and and Kashmir, uh, the agreement that was effectively reached was this constitutional article that would grant the region a great deal of autonomy to manage its own affairs. India would manage Kashmir's foreign relations and defense, but really the Kashmiris would have a high degree of authority of autonomy over the rest of their affairs. And that changed over the decades. Uh, And now, finally, that article has been scrapped in its entirety. And what that means is that the Indian government now uh, in New Delhi will directly rule Kashmir. But more seriously, there's a demographic concern here. Uh, The Kashmiris, a part of their special status, included protections for who was allowed to buy property and settle in Kashmir. Nobody from the rest of India, from South India, East India, uh, the Hindu majority parts of the country, was able to move permanently to Kashmir, purchase property, and live there. 
Now, with this constitutional article being abrogated, that's possible. And many Kashmiris are now fearful that this will mean that the unique democratic uh, demographic character of that region is going right. to begin transforming over the next decades. And we know from the history of you know that region between India and Pakistan and partition and all of that, that areas that are kind of Hindu majority, Muslim majority, that has long been a, a flashpoint. Yeah. So in um, in Kashmir, though, it really uh, hasn't been on the basis of the Kashmiri Muslims uh, attacking Hindus, per se. Uh, the the struggle that we've seen in the past decade or so, um, and, and really you could trace this back to the end of the 1980s in a way, uh, is really to do with discontent at the Indian government's application of heavy-handed tactics in the region. So Kashmir is one of the most highly securitized parts of India, or indeed anywhere in the world. The Indian army and Indian paramilitary forces keep a massive presence there. And part of that is to keep the disaffected Kashmiri population, primarily the youth, um, under control, so to speak, and to, and to avoid unrest. And uh, there's really been a major spike in unrest since 2016. I think the Indian government's decision uh, this week is really something that's been building over the last few years. Of course, we should also talk about the fact that the party currently ruling India, the Bharatiya Janata Party, is a Hindu nationalist yes. party. Uh, if you go back decades, uh, that party and its ideological predecessors have really seen this article, the constitutional article, and the special status that Kashmir enjoyed within the republic as a bit of an aberration. And they've really been out to take care of it. And of course, in May, we just saw an election in India that gave this party the largest mandate that it's seen in its history. So I think they're really cashing in on the political mandate here. Yeah, that was my next question that I was wondering, why now? Like, why did they think this? And so this, do you think, is a direct result of them feeling buoyed and confident by their election result? Yeah, I think it is. I mean, we could look at the last time that the BJP was in power in the early 2000s. Of course, then they had a coalition government. And in parliamentary systems, when you're in a coalition, depending on the strength of your coalition partners, your room for maneuver is limited. So something like this, that's hugely controversial and sort of a nationally important decision, um, the BJP was sort of uh, hesitant to undertake. Of course, that was the time that India conducted its nuclear tests and broke out as a nuclear power. So it's not that they didn't take significant steps at the time, but they decided to focus their energies elsewhere. The Kashmir issue was left unaddressed at the time. This time, the BJP is so dominant nationally politically that they can absolutely absorb this. And what we've seen actually after the decision is that many opposition parties have actually supported this move, right? This is this is more to do with Indian nationalism writ large rather than Hindu nationalism per se. Of course, it does get the Hindu nationalists on board, but uh, other parts of the country, including uh, regional parties from South India, have supported the move. Right. So what does the rest of the world say about this? Because this could really change things in that region. It could, and it has already. Um, the United States put out a statement. We were pretty um, tepid in what we said. We said that we noted the actions, but uh, that we basically wanted the situation in the region to remain under control. So I think there's a lot of uncertainty. Uh, Washington, of course, right now is in a bit of a strange place with regard to the level of expertise and the level of staffing related to South Asia in general. And most of the efforts of the region are focused on Afghanistan and Pakistan, where we're trying to secure a deal with the Taliban. So Kashmir really hasn't been at the top of the radar. Of course, we had a wake-up call earlier this year in February when India and Pakistan almost went to war uh, again over Kashmir. So um, that's where the Americans are. Yeah. And the the two other countries to really watch for are China and Pakistan. And both of them have put out statements reacting to what the Indians did. And the Pakistanis were 
predictably upset and they cited sort of international law and old UN Security Council resolutions as they always do. Um, but it's not the Pakistani civilian government's reaction that we should really be concerned about. It's more about what the Pakistani military, yeah. which is really in control of the country's sort of national security policy, might do in the next days or weeks. And they have several options there. Um, so, so we'll have to wait and see yeah. if, if the, the Pakistanis decide to ramp up tensions. As for China, um, they have a separate dispute with India in Kashmir, and they are also treating this with a high level of seriousness. We don't know exactly what Beijing is going to do here. Uh, it could simply be that we see a chill in India-China relations, but there's no serious uh, escalation along the border. India and China, of course, haven't fought a border war since 1962. They've had some standoffs and skirmishes in the meantime. So the nature right. of the dispute there is less serious. But a lot's changed since then. Listen, Ankit, thank you so much for your time. Yeah, absolutely. Thanks for having me. That was fascinating. That's Ankit Panda, Director of Research for Diplomat Risk Intelligence.